Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, hello there. So pleased to see you return to Oddsbodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a bizarre and curious item that I'm sure you're going to want to take a look at. Let me take this out of the display case here. This is an antique kaleidoscope made of brass, and if you look through the view hole, and twist the lens at the front, you'll see a swirling, magical effect. And if you look quite closely, you might see images surreal and bizarre of timepieces, eyes, and human figures swirling about. These images you'll see not too dissimilar from images one might see at the beginning of a particular television series, an anthology series at that from the late 50s and in the early 60s, created by one Rod Serling, The Twilight Zone. And that is the topic of today's episode on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's take a look at the life and times of Rod Serling in the Twilight Zone. Now, as I mentioned on our last episode, I am on vacation. We're in the Finger Lakes region of the United States in upstate New York. And one of the things that I found quite fascinating about this area is the fact that this is the home of Rod Serling. Of course, Rod Serling was born on Christmas Day in 1924 in Syracuse, New York. Of course, he grew up in Binghamton, New York, just south of Syracuse, and of course, spent his uh, latter years and died in Rochester, New York, which uh, we're actually staying in Victor, New York, which is uh, just outside of Rochester. And of course, one of the interesting things uh, about uh, this area in ties with Rod Sterling, of course, his, I believe it was his maternal grandmother had a summer home in Interlochen, New York, which is down in between Lake Seneca and Lake Cayuga. And Rod Serling summered every every year at this house in Interlochen, his grandmother's house in Interlochen. I believe the only two summers he didn't go there were the two uh, summers that his daughters were born. But he spent a lot of time in Interlochen, and that's actually where Rod Serling is is buried. And during our trip, I plan on making a pilgrimage to Interlochen to visit the grave of Rod Serling because a man I have greatly respected in the world of horror, fantasy, and sci-fi uh, in particular, but uh, a man I've, I've been respected just in general. When you take a look at his life and what this man stood for, the more you learn about him, the more you respected him for the things that he he stood up for the downtrodden, the less fortunate. He stood up for those uh, minorities and those peoples that are marginalized by society and not treated fairly. He stood for those things and stood up for those people and always made social commentary about those types of people, uh, people of different uh, races, people of different ethnicities. 
the downtrodden, people that, you know, society casts out. He, he always kind of stood for those people and stood up for them in, in a lot of the productions he put out. And, of course, uh, being from this area of upstate New York, uh, his production company even reflects the time he spent in Interlochen on the, uh, maybe not necessarily on the shores of Lake Cayuga, but very close to Lake Cayuga. And, of course, his uh, production company, which Twilight Zone was produced under, was Cayuga Productions. But as I said, born on Christmas Day, uh, in Syracuse, New York, to a Jewish family. He spent uh, a lot of time on the debate team. They said he was too small to play football, but uh, went through school and began an interest in radio and writing at an early age. He listened to radio quite often. He liked the thrillers and the fantasies and the horror shows, and that really served him well later in life. Now, speaking of horrors, uh, this man did see the horrors of war. Of course, uh, when World War II started, he was going to leave high school early to joined the army, but he had a teacher that kind of talked him into staying. He said, uh, wars are a fleeting thing, but your education is going to be forever. So he finished school and then enlisted in the army. Of course, as a member of the army, he got into boxing, but that didn't really pan out for him. Uh, he spent time in the Pacific Theater in the Philippines and was a, a decorated World War II veteran. He earned the Bronze Star. He was also uh, injured and had a Purple Heart. And just a, a ton of medals and decorations uh, for his time in the service. Now, after he got out of the service, he used the GI Bill to go to college and then eventually entered a career in radio, which being in radio myself, I've spent the last 30 years of my life working in radio. There's always a bit of a kinship there. But then he, he eventually left radio uh, feeling that the radio wasn't living up to its potential in terms of dramas and things of that nature. Radio is a great medium for theater of the mind, but really radio is just kind of turned into a music box, essentially. And the old radio shows and dramas and horrors and, and all the interesting uh, theater of the mind elements of radio uh, went the way of the dodo a long time ago. And I think, I think Rod Serling saw that writing on the wall, at which time he entered into television. And I was watching an interesting interview, uh, the Mike Wallace show, where he was talking about how he was working in television. I can't remember if this is the television or the radio. I believe this was when he was working in television in Cincinnati. And he was writing commercials and testimonial letters, at which time he talks about he was writing a letter for a uh, drug that claimed to cure everything from arthritis to a fractured pelvis. It was then that he decided that he had enough and decided that he wanted to become a freelance television writer and start writing you know, teleplays for TV shows. And he tried his hand at that. And he was actually becoming quite successful with that when he got the the green light for the twilight zone in 1959 and uh, on that mike wallace show i there was an interesting quote from him because you know he was doing a lot in television but television didn't really want to to push the envelope like he wanted to and make social commentary uh, he said on the mike wallace show i don't want to push for what i want and have to settle for second best 
I don't want to have to compromise all the time, which in essence is what a TV writer does if he wants to put out controversial themes. I think it's very possible to perform a function. I think it's criminal that we're not permitted to make dramatic note of social evils as they exist, of controversial themes as they are inherent in our society. So even then, he really, he understood that, you know, TV and and these types of shows, you know, they had to be a medium that pushed social change when injustice was inherent in our society. But the funny thing is, when he started The Twilight Zone, he really had to insist that the show was not going to be controversial to the networks, to the advertisers, and that sort of thing. And he kind of had to sneak those social commentaries into the fabric of these teleplays in a way that made it palatable for the the advertisers and the executives, the network executives, to make them think, oh, well, they're getting something, but they're also getting a little bit of a parable, a morality tale here. And he had an interesting quote, I believe, I can't remember if this was on the, this wasn't on the Mike Wall show. This was actually, I think, on the Dick Cavett show. He says, you may have to tell them a story of prejudice in a parable form, which they may step aside as third persons and cluck and say how awful we treat our minority groups, but at least they know it's an evil and they will recognize it as such. And by osmosis or some incredible process, will somewhere along the line be faced with a situation in which they may have to exercise a prejudice and be conscious of it as an evil. And I really like that, you know, Jesus had to to explain things in parable to people because people just didn't understand what he was talking about. But he said it in a parable and it made it more palatable, made it easier for people to understand. And I think in a time when people didn't want to recognize their own prejudices as evil, for him to to be able to put on a, a parable, so to speak, and do it in a science fiction or a horror or a fantasy form. But in that that horror fantasy and science fiction to be able to say this is wrong to treat somebody horribly because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity or because they're a woman or because they're this that or the other thing to treat them differently or treat them horribly because of that is inherently wrong that is evil and and i like how he you know I like how he talks about the, the the average listener, how they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's bad. But then sooner or later, they're going to do those things. They're going to act on those prejudices. And I like how, you know, he hopes that what he's doing will at least make them realize that those are evil. And maybe they'll they'll take pause and they'll think about that thing. He goes on to say, now on the Twilight Zone, as an example... Done during as tumorous a time as any, we made a comment on prejudice, on conformity, on intolerance, on censorship. But it's easy to do it when you're talking about Buck Rogers isn't allowed to write his memoirs in the way he wants to write them. It may well be that the inner message never gets through, but I think peripherally it does get through. Now, of course, we're going to talk about some of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes coming up that really touch on some of those subjects. But the Twilight Zone did come to an end. Of course, it ran from 1959 through 1965. Four, had five seasons, but Twilight Zone was eventually canceled in January of 1964. Of course, Rod Serling sold, uh, I think, the bulk of his rights to the Twilight Zone to CBS because he didn't really think uh, his Cayuga production company was going to be able to 
uh, recoup the money from the production cost because uh, Twilight Zone notoriously went over budget uh, every season. But uh, Twilight Zone was canceled and Rod Serling moved on to another anthology series for NBC, Night Gallery, which ran from December 16th, 1970 through May 27th, 1973. Uh, it was dark fantasy, but Rod Serling, I think, quickly became disillusioned with this television series. I don't think he had the creative control over this that he thought he might have. I believe it was also on the Dick Cavett show that uh, Rod Serling talked about Night Gallery and the creative control that he didn't really have. He said it was never his show. He fronted the show. He even wrote a few episodes, but he said it's not science fiction and it ceases to be fantasy. It's a quick run through a cemetery. He said that they tried to compete with the action of Mannix. And the show was supposed to be much more cerebral, much more diversified in its approach to things. He says, it could be science fiction and fantasy and the occult and the bizarre, but unfortunately, it's been an inconsistent show. It may do well, but I wish they'd, they'd use somebody else but me. Which is kind of funny because, you know, he's on the Dick Cavett show to promote Night Gallery and he's just trashing the network and trashing the show because like i said you know he just he didn't have the creative control he thought he was going to have from it from nbc and well this could have been fantasy and science fiction and horror uh, much like twilight zone it was they they were trying to do action and violence and and trying to compete with shows like mannix and it was sad because like i said this man did so much for the industry uh, to be able to just use him as window dressing for your for your tv series is, is kind of disappointing but night gallery ended up uh being canceled in 1973 just a, a couple years before rod serling's passing and of course he did pass away in 1975 uh just a not quite a year after i was born of course he was a a smoker. You saw him smoking on Twilight Zone. Of course, uh, he would even say he was a three, four pack a day smoker. But in May of 1975, he had a heart attack. He was hospitalized, spent a couple weeks in the hospital, was released, had a second heart attack two weeks after. They did open heart surgery. Uh, he had a third heart attack while he was on the operating table, if memory serves me right. And then he passed away two days later in Rochester, New York at the the very young age of 50 years old. And as I said, uh, was was laid to rest on July 2nd, 1975 at the Lakeview Cemetery in Interlochen, uh, New York, which I will be uh, visiting if I haven't already by the time this airs to pay my respects to the man because he was so influential. Rod Serling and the show, The Twilight Zone, that he put out that really introduced me as a young child watching these fantastical episodes and this fantastical show as a kid uh, was just, it was it was amazing. Even though this was in black and white, it was from the, like I said, the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, it was just, you know, so ahead of its time. And it was so influential to anything that was ever done in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Of course, with all the revivals of the Twilight Zone that draw off the inspiration from the original. And I am just enthralled and entranced by these episodes. Uh, just as much as I was as a kid watching them in the reruns, as I am as a almost 50-year-old adult uh, watching them on whatever streaming service might have to happen 
happen to have Twilight Zone on. And I can sit there and watch it. And I've watched the series uh, through from beginning to end multiple times. And I'll probably watch it uh, multiple more. It's probably something where I should probably buy the complete series on Blu-ray. Uh, because I just cut out the middleman. And just I can watch it at my leisure. Well, I could do that with streaming anyway. But uh, it's such an influential show. And Rod Serling and what he put forth with The Twilight Zone was so influential in me becoming such a huge fan of horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And that show delved into all those things. It made them all part of the same family of inspirational entertainment. I mean inspirational in so much as these stories inspired me to to open up to a bigger world of, of imagination and all while teaching me very important life lessons about treating people with respect, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their race or religion, teaching me about man's inhumanity towards man and how we should treat each other the way we would want to be treated, teaching me while sometimes war is necessary, war is not always the answer and war shouldn't be the first response, that we can live in a world of peace, happiness, and harmony if we just, if we just try. And those are life lessons that I have I've lived my whole life with and that I will I try to pass on as much as I can when I can. And I will I will live to my dying day with these lessons that Rod Serling and his show The Twilight Zone taught me. And that is worth paying respect. Now, of course, as I said, uh, you know, this Twilight Zone and Rod Serling were so influential to me, and I couldn't get through this episode without talking about some of my favorite episodes. So we're going to talk about my, my 10 favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone. No particular order, although... Uh, it's, it's pretty close to where it would rank. Maybe some would fluctuate and it's always a liquid thing. My, my, my top 10 has kind of changed over the years or some have flop flip flopped, but we're going to go from my favorite to, you know, number one to number 10 in a, in a roundabout way, although I'm not really ranking them as such, but, uh, we're going to talk briefly about them. Cause I think I would like to do episodes of Vods Bodkins, uh, sometime down the road where go into a little more depth of these episodes or or many of the episodes, maybe uh, on Twilight Zone Day. I know we missed it, but maybe for next year, every Twilight Zone Day, we'll talk about some of my favorite episodes in depth. But we're, right now, we're just going to kind of give you a, a loose talk about some of my favorite episodes and why they're my favorite episode. Uh, so the first one, can't talk about favorite Twilight Zone episodes without talking about Season 5, Episode 3. came out in 1963, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Of course, this is a story written by Richard Matheson. It was directed by Richard Donner. Of course, Goonies fame and so many other great movies. It was the first of six episodes he directed for the Twilight Zone. Of course, starring the incomparable William Shatner. And I love this because this whole idea of this gremlin out on the wing and this man's the only one that sees it. And, you know, the, the fear of flying themes of this, the mental health themes of this was just, and William Shatner really played the manicness of, of this man who is trying not to go insane, but he feels like he's being driven there because no one will believe him. Uh, I really like that. The the creature, the gremlin, was a little uh, hokey looking. Uh, even, even as a kid, I'm like, uh, is he like a sheep man or something? But in the 83 Twilight Zone movie, they did a remake of this with John Lithgow, 
Uh, George Miller of the Mad Max movie fame, he directed that. Uh, the Gremlin, that was a little more creepy. That's a little more what I wanted to see. But love this story. Uh, love Richard Matheson. The short story of that was first published in 1961. I was so glad that they made a, a version of that for the Twilight Zone. Another one of my favorites would definitely be in any top five favorites of mine. Uh, season three, episode eight in 1961, we saw It's a Good Life, teleplay by Rod Serling based on a short story by Jerome Bixby, uh, stars Billy Mummy, who did several uh, episodes of The Twilight Zone, of course, uh, Cloris Leachman, and uh, a whole host of other Twilight Zone regulars. This is probably one of the most iconic episodes because it's been parodied by The Simpsons in the Treehouse of Horror, I believe the second one they did. It's evoked in the Stephen King, The Regulators. Uh, they did a sequel in the 2002 revival of The Twilight Zone called It's Still a Good Life, which saw Billy Mummy and Cloris Leachman both reprise their roles. And I believe Billy Mummy's daughter plays in that one as well. But this it's such a, a creepy episode with this little kid. And, and that's how kids can be. They can be loving and sweet and then all of a sudden turn on a dime. And next thing you know, they're sending you out to the cornfield. Uh, it's just, it's so the fear in all of these adults' faces where they're just trying to do everything they can to keep this kid happy so he doesn't kill them is just terrifying stuff. Uh, next on my list, another one. It's going to be in my top five every time. Season 3, episode 24 in 1962's To Serve Man, teleplayed by Rod Serling based on a Damon Knight short story. This is one of those classic Twilight Zone twists. The fact that this alien race comes and they're giving us all these gifts and they conveniently leave a book that is eventually translated and they think to serve man, it's to, to help man out. And that, that, that twist at the end where they realize it's, it's a cookbook, to serve man is a cookbook, is just... Uh, the stuff of nightmares and the stuff that makes anytime aliens come and make themselves known to us, I'm going to be skeptical because of this episode. And of course, the great Richard Keel plays the plays many of the Canamite characters. But of course, you know him from Jaws, from the James Bond movies, and Billy Madison. He's done so many different things, but uh, Richard Keel was great in that. Next on the list of my favorite, uh, my 10 favorite Twilight Zone episodes, season five, episode six in 1963, Living Doll, a story written by Rod Serling, uh, starring Telly Savalas. And this, I, I don't know if this is the first that we ever saw a doll come to life, but so many different movies and TV series, uh, Chucky, the child's play movies, Annabelle, all these movies that have dolls that come to life really kind of feel like they're evoking a living doll from the Twilight Zone. And Telly Savalas just plays, he plays the asshole better than a lot of people. And and at the end, where you you feel like he's kind of softened up, and you know things might be okay. The doll trips him, and he falls down the stairs and is dead. And then that moment when the doll says to the mother, "You know, you better be nice to me, or or I'll kill you too." You know, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, that's very child's play like, and that's why that's one of the. I remember I played this episode for a couple of my young nieces and I don't know if they ever played with baby dolls after that. Yeah, I know I'm a horrible uncle. 
Up next on the list, this one, uh, one of the great episodes that has some social commentary to it. Season 1, episode 22 from 1960, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Again, another story written by Rod Serling, uh, starring Claude Akins and, and another a great cast of characters. But, you know, this is such a great example of kind of like what we see when when any great catastrophe or terrorist attack or something like that happens i know they said this a lot after 9 11 yeah you know you turn out the lights and watch people kind of turn on each other and and things became very political after that and i don't mean to bring in politics to this but but that's what happened just you scare people by taking away the things that make them feel safe and people turn on each other and i think this kind of talked about without really saying it uh, about like the cold war paranoia everybody was worried about somebody being a communist it really spoke a lot to mob mentality and how you know people can turn on their friends and neighbors if the mob says it's okay uh, we saw a lot of that here uh, within the past couple of years so this one really had a lot of great social commentary and and showed how easy it is for outsiders to put us in a position where we kill each other because we're so worried about who's right and who's wrong uh, my side against your side uh, it, it's really it would be really easy for an outside influence to manipulate us into destroying ourselves they don't even have to lift a finger or drop a bomb or or anything next on our list season one episode eight from 1959 time enough at last this is such a tragic story of course the teleplay by rod serling based on the short story by lynn venable uh, it stars burgess meredith in one of his finest performances for my money uh kind of plays into the whole best laid plans of mice and men off and go awry or be careful what you wish for chrissy all he wants to do is read a book nobody will let him his boss his wife they're always nagging him and the nuclear destruction and he's the last person left and he has all this time to read all these books and then his glasses break uh it's just so sad and the the pathos in him of why why did why god why did you let this happen is just heartbreaking but i think there's even you know a lot of people talk about uh it's it's about atomic weapons and things like that i think even more so it's it's about being happy while you have the chance you know he had a chance to read these books if he would have just stood up to his wife if he would have just stood up to his boss uh, don't let people dictate your happiness i think that's a bigger message here whether it was intended or not that's what i take away from it next on our list it's season two, episode 15 from 1961, The Invaders. This was one of the ones that scared the crap out of me as a kid because I didn't know who the bad guy was. Uh, you have this woman alone in this desolate land and she lives primitively. She almost feels like a witch with this cauldron that she's cooking with. And then all of a sudden these tiny little robots come and are attacking her and there's no dialogue just her grunting and groaning no dialogue until uh the end i think there might be a little bit from the the robots but uh we find out that she destroys the spaceship that landed on her roof and we think that she's the human and these are aliens and then we find out that the the ship is actually a united states spaceship 
and they landed on this alien planet full of giants and it's just such a uh, a great another one of those great twilight zone twists but written by richard matheson and it stars agnes moorhead uh, she was Endora on bewitched and just such a fit for not really having any dialogue it's just such a captivating episode and such a a frightening episode especially for a little kid as an adult it's still a little creepy uh just that thought that these this race of giants and these these humans have landed there and you think they're the bad guys the whole time and i'm sure that probably plays a lot into colonialism and that sort of stuff but next on our list season two episode 22 from 1961 long distance called this is probably one of the most dark tales from the twilight zone it was written by charles beaumont who other than richard matheson and rod serling uh he wrote a lot of episodes as well those three probably wrote the bulk of the uh, twilight zone episodes but charles beaumont along with william uh, idelson it stars another one starring Billy Mummy. Uh, he's this little boy who gets a toy telephone from his grandma on his birthday. His grandmother dies. You know, she and him are very close. And all of a sudden, after she dies, this kid starts getting telephone calls on this toy phone from his grandmother from wherever she is. And the dark thing about this is, is that she wants this little boy to be with her where she is so she essentially tries to convince this kid or convinces this kid to kill himself he tries to drown himself runs out in the street and you know the father has this heartfelt moment on this toy phone talking to his mom that she can't have his son uh he needs his son his wife needs his son it's 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 very dark material now this is one of the ones they tried to save money so cbs uh had them tape six episodes at cbs television city uh they taped it like a tv like a live tv drama you know instead of using like film now the experiment was deemed a failure uh, but this was the last episode that they filmed like that. That's why it came, you know, there are some episodes that feel like it has that live TV, almost like 50s, 60s soap opera look to it. If you ever watch any of the old Dark Shadows uh, episodes, some of them kind of have that same look. Two more episodes to go. Uh, the second to last episode, another one I, I really love that I don't think gets enough uh, recognition but season three episode 26 from 1962 little lost girl another story written by richard matheson now the the story is about this uh, little girl she goes through this interdimensional portal into another dimension and the parents hear her voice from the other side and the father ends up tying a rope to himself and going into the portal to rescue her. And, you know, it sounds an awful watching this. I'm like, Jesus, this looks exactly, this sounds exactly like Poltergeist. Now, I've never heard anything from Steven Spielberg or, or any of the people behind Poltergeist the movie, whether this was any influence on them. Uh, no one's ever said, but it had to be influential on the script for poltergeist because so many of the beats in poltergeist were done 20 some years earlier with little lost girl in this twilight zone episode so i have to think poltergeist was at least in some way inspired or influenced by this episode of the twilight zone and it's kind of based on a true story from richard matheson uh his daughter fell out of bed and rolled against a against the wall i guess between the wall and her bed and his wife and himself couldn't find her despite her cries for help so that kind of played into you know how uh, you hear 
this girl from the other side, or, or Carol Ann, in, for that matter, from the other side. And my final episode uh, of my 10 favorite Twilight Zone episodes, season two, episode five uh, from 1960, The Howling Man. Now, this is a this is an episode that's really kind of moved up the ranks over the years. Uh, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have said this is in my top 10. But more recently, this has uh, kind of creeped its way up as one of my favorite episodes written by Charles Beaumont. It's about this man that shows up at this monastery. This monastery uh, has a man trapped behind a door with a staff the only thing holding the door shut and the one of the monks says that they've trapped the devil and this this man that has shown up at this monastery by accident i can't remember exactly but he keeps hearing this man that's trapped there howling and he he thinks that you know these monks are mad this isn't the devil this is just a regular guy and he lets the man out and the man indeed turns into the devil and of course the man spends the rest of his life trying to track down the devil and and capture him again and the story is being kind of told in flashback as this man has captured the devil again and is telling the story to the maid at the hotel he's staying at and of course he leaves uh, to make arrangements to transport the devil and the maid lets the devil out now, a couple of interesting things of course the devil was trapped and the door was held in place by this staff called the staff of truth uh charles beaumont actually wanted it to be a cross that was keeping the devil trapped but the network executives feared backlash from a rel religious groups uh, so they changed it to the staff of truth in spite of beaumont's objections and this probably has one of my favorite uh, morals to the story. The head monk at this monastery tells the man who lets the devil out, he says, the inability to recognize the devil has always been man's greatest weakness. And whether you're a believer or you're a person of any sort of faith, uh, I think that is poignant, whether whether you believe or not, because, you know, we, we fail to see the devil in the details and that great weakness causes us to make great mistakes for all the right reasons and like i said i think that just that that, that speaks volumes in this day and age so there you have it that is a look at my 10 favorite twilight zone episodes in loose order from my favorite to the 10th favorite but like i said it's all very fluid and could change at any moment and like i said i didn't go into any great detail on these episodes because i think in future odds bodkins curiosity shop episodes i think we might do something where i go into greater detail talking about twilight zone episodes because like i said uh, so many great episodes I could do another 10 favorite Twilight Zone episodes and not bat an eye because there are just so many good ones. And I think, you know, sometime we'll find a vehicle with this podcast where we can kind of talk in depth about some of those old classic episodes. But that is not this episode. This is just kind of a, a loose explanation of my favorites and why they're my favorites. Most of them quite scary, some of them poignant, all of them very entertaining and, and enjoyable to watch if you love horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. And so much of this uh, made possible by the great man, uh, Rod Serling, who, uh, you know, as a, a veteran of, of World War II, as a TV writer and presenter, and as a man who championed great causes and championed uh, the little people. He was a great man, and like I said, going to go pay my respects at his grave in Interlock in New York. 
and uh, thank him for one his service and thank him for for all the the great entertainment and horror fantasy and science fiction and for teaching us all a lesson or two. So there you have it. That's my look at Rod Serling and my 10 favorite Twilight Zone episodes. Hopefully you enjoyed listening. Be listening. We have more great uh, content coming up. You know, we've got a lot of movies coming out, a lot of TV shows. Kenobi's going to be wrapping up sometime soon. Uh, Miss Marvel's out. I haven't had a chance to start that, but but looking to talk about that. We've got Jurassic World Dominion that's coming out, and I know it's getting panned right now, but I don't like to listen to critics, so uh, I'll, I'll give it to watch and, and make up my own mind. I encourage you to do as well. But uh, you can keep track of all that we've got going on on Oz Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. Always posting trailers and news about horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, please download it, subscribe to it, like it, uh, share it. That's the most important thing. Share it with your friends, family, neighbors, anybody you know who loves horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. And leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but it really helps uh, get the word out. It makes these you know, the more great reviews we get, uh, the more these platforms will help promote and make our content available to other people who are looking for uh, something like this to listen to. So please leave a review. And until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!